0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. This All Saints morning, we hear the words of the core of Jesus' proclamation about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. These these words of blessing and these words of woe. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus has um, been baptized. He's been driven out into the wilderness by the um, by the Holy Spirit. He is he has clashed with the devil um, in the wilderness, and then he goes up onto a mountain and he sees people who are lost and lonely and broken, and he has compassion on them. Matthew tells us that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus gathers the sheep up with this core teaching of the Christian tradition of the Beatitudes. Now, in Matthew's gospel, they take several chapters to go through. And in Luke's gospel, it's a little bit shorter. Why is that? Well, in Luke's gospel, Jesus shares this teaching of blessing and woe right after he calls the disciples to follow him, those who have left everything behind in order to be a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus gives him, like, the elevator speech, like, okay, okay, you said you're going to follow me, great, now, let me just tell you something, blessed are you who have left everything behind to follow me, and woe to you, because people are going to hate you for it, right? It makes sense that you would share that before you ask somebody to sign up, rather than, Right? Right? If you go and you say, hey, I've got a great deal for you. Um, you're going to leave everything behind. Everybody is going to hate you. Uh, do you. Do you want to Do you want to join? Right, any of y'all I don't want to make fun of people who do like multi-level marketing things, right? But but nobody who who signs up like you know to go do like Mary Kay or Plexus or one of those other things, like, you know, also shares, hey, every time you have a conversation with somebody, you're gonna sit there and talk about how great you feel because you're, you know, taking this thing. So the Beatitudes form a framework that protect us and buttress us. ...from two of the greatest temptations that Christians face in this, our culture that we live in. The first one is is a culture of entertainment. Our desire to constantly be stimulated and constantly be entertained. And the second is a strong desire for power. And the Beatitudes reject both of those as ends or virtues... Andrew Root, um, a a reader that I've read a lot of over the last couple of years, says that the modern church has this constant need to feel like it's entertaining, right? Like, Like this Sunday, you can't miss. It's the most exciting thing that's ever happened, right? Because we have this deep fear that if people are bored, then they may not want Jesus. And so we constantly prop up this idea that, that, that church is supposed to be the most exciting thing ever. And I can remember as a kid at times telling my parents, I'm bored. Maybe even as an adult sometimes your mind begins to wander and you go, huh, what was I getting at Walmart again today? And I'm going to tell you that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But when Jesus' core teaching is, is that people are not going to like you because of your decision to follow Jesus, then it should tell us that being entertained is not our top concern. Right? Jesus lived in a culture in which Romans knew how to entertain. It's how they kept power. Romans sat there and made sure that there was plenty of wine, plenty of live entertainment, plenty of spas for you to go relax in, and people are like, well, heck, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and worry about you know, the, the constant wars that are being fought on, on my behalf and my kids going away because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drunk all the time or I'm entertained all the time or, gosh, I got a 2 o'clock at the spa. I can't, you know, worry about what the Romans are doing. One of the challenges for us as Christians is we become so familiar With our worship, and this is a particular problem within the liturgical tradition in which so much of what we do week after week is repeated, right? It's not because we don't have an imagination, it's because there is something powerful about repetition. There's something powerful about hearing the same thing over and over again to where they become second nature to you. Religion in our modern American society seems to think oftentimes that its purpose is to create an emotional state that will cause you to be entertained and transformed, but it causes you to want that thing over and over and over again. This is something I've seen uh, working with kids in youth ministry out at St. Crispin's that go out there and they go, oh my gosh, why can't life be like it is at St. Crispin's? Why is it I don't have to worry about who I am or what I am here in this place? Why can't life be like this? And it would be great in some ways if it was, but it's not. So how do we live as disciples in the times in which we don't have that going on? And the Beatitudes help us with this. One author says that in earlier time when work was exhausting, physically exhausting, it produced less anxiety because people could easily tell whether they had completed their tasks or not. They either knew that there was wood that had been chopped and was ready or there was not wood that had been chopped. And in our world today, there is this constant feeling of we haven't accomplished anything. That we just sort of accumulate ongoing and increasing obligations to which there is no way that we can remember to do them all. Anybody feel that way? And the thing is, is that we oftentimes make religion into that same Thing It's this constant, ongoing, never able to accomplish it. Giles Fraser says that one of the best gifts that the, that the church can offer to the world is to let people know that it is okay to be bored and that it is okay to go without stimulation. Right? There's a reason I don't put TV screens in here. Not because I think TV screens are bad. But because we are surrounded by screens and flashing lights all the time, it is good to be in a space where our minds are being trained to engage something without the constant movement of light. And these times in which we go without can be fruitful. Fraser goes on to say that we oftentimes are made to feel guilty about being bored. Only a boring person would be bored as if there's some deep moral fault in sitting there going, I'm bored. That somehow feeling bored, we fear that we are insignificant or immaterial or we don't matter. But here's the interesting thing, is that, that, that boredom seems to invoke in some people as if their life requires the intervention of continual entertainment in order to be meaningful, and the thing is, is the Beatitudes are not entertainment. They're love and care for the poor, which is a never-ending, frustrating process. Anybody who has ever worked with the poor knows that it never ends, and it comes to a point in which you realize that you need something bigger than yourself, even a collected self, in order to do it. There's a reason Jesus says the poor will always be with you. I don't care how much money, how much effort, how much time, how many collective resources we put to the poor, the poor will always be among us. And that does not give us an out to say, well, then I don't have to worry about the poor anymore. What it does say is is that we are not the center of the world and that we do need someone who is bigger than us to save Fraser goes on to say, Christianity, as I see it, is training a dependency. We are trained to wait upon God. The healing initiative that comes from without, the technical term is grace, and it falls like rain on those who have asked for it and those who have not asked for it. That grace is not something that we can conjure up with the right emotion or the light show or the smoke machines. And the second thing that we are tempted by is power. We are in election season on Tuesday. Uh, minute, you know, we'll, we'll go to vote, and I am overwhelmed by how much money and passion we place towards elections that the experts tell us each and every election season is the most consequential of our lifetime. They're so consequential that they train us to hate those who vote differently than we do. And they are so consequential that we are willing to do anything in the name of greater and more power. And Jesus tells us that the answer to the world's problem is not more power or more entertainment. Right? That's what Rome did. That's what Rome did so well. Entertainment and power and Jesus rejects those things. The earliest Christians were people who were simply known as the way. People who lived their life in such a particular way that people go, what is different about these people? There was something different about the Christian culture that undermined the dominant world that people were sort of amazed by. Frankly, I'm afraid that we are so afraid of being irrelevant that we are willing to give in to worldly powers in the name of relevancy. That we are so unsure about the power of God's grace and the power of the kingdom that we think that unless we take it by force, then God cannot win. And I know a person who the world said that to and he rose three days later. The fact that in today's day and age so many Christians believe that the only way that Jesus can win is through the powers of the state means that we truly do not understand the power of the cross and the power of Christ's resurrection. We've been so trained as American Christians to read the books of Daniel and Revelation as a way of interpreting the signs to know if this is the time when we're going to gain power rather than learning how to live as people who the world finds weird and strange and reviles because in the biblical story satan's power has already begun to be vanquished much like Voldemort's attempt to kill Harry Potter the death has already begun and it's a death that is won by God not through our force of power One author says that Christians are no different from other people in the terms of their country, their language, or their customs, right? This is a guy who is writing as an apologist or or an evangelist for the Christian faith. Christians are no different in some ways from the people that they live with in terms of their language and their customs. They don't go and live in cities upon their own, but they live among the people, They inhabit both Greek and barbarian cities according to the law assigned to each, and they show forth the character of their own citizenship in a marvelous and admittedly paradoxical way. Following local customs and what they wear, what they eat, and in the rest of their lives, they live in their respective countries, but only as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens, but they endure all things as foreigners." Right, that Christians are to know what it's like to live in two kingdoms a kingdom of this world and of the kingdom that is not yet fully here that Christians are to be a hybrid people people who reject entertainment for the source and end of itself and those who reject power as an end and a good that being a resident alien means that life is sometimes going to be boring because when you're being eaten by a lion guess what it's not fun Christianity, if we're being faithful to the vision of Jesus Christ, should be marked by a foregoing of power, at least in the way that our culture uses it, the way of the Beatitudes. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for anyone who takes your coat... Do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs of you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them to do to you. Amen.